I just want to take a second to welcome you. If you're just visiting today to Community Church, bless you. If you're watching us online, bless you. Thanks for being with us today. It's so great to be together as a family of God, isn't it? You know, we're a little more distance in between us, but our hearts are together. Our hearts are connected. So, Father, we want to say today, as we enter in, Lord, you're the one that really matters. Your, your glory, your honor, declaring your name, humbling ourselves and saying, it is before the Lord. Like David said to his wife, it is before the Lord that I stripped myself and I humbled myself and I danced and I looked like a fool in your eyes, but it was before the Lord. I'm going to honor him more than I honor myself today. So, Father, we want to say, Lord, you are worthy. Oh, God, you are worthy. Let's honor him. Let me share something. There are moments when God comes to touch you. But you know what? God is always looking for a man and a woman to stand in the gap for people who don't know the freedom you already have. This is one of those moments. This is one of those moments where we're not worshiping for ourselves. We're not worshiping for a euphoric moment for ourselves. We are worshiping. And we are standing for a nation. We are standing for people that have not seen the light. We are standing for people who are under the bondage of darkness right now. And the Spirit of God is saying, Is there a people who will cry out for the nations of the earth? Is there a people? Is there a people? Just begin to pray in the Spirit right now. Father, we contend. We contend for others that are not here. We contend for others that have not seen the light. We contend right now. We contend right now. We contend right now. We contend right now. God, mercy. Mercy on the nation of Canada. God, mercy on this country. God, have mercy on the nation of Canada, God, on the people of Canada. Lord, we say, remember your promise. Father, today, God, I pray for a revelation on your people to know the power that's in the sound of our footsteps, the power to know the power that's in the sound of faith, that we're not just an army that we're hoping forward. There's not something coming off in the future. It's now. We are your answer to darkness. This people right here in this room. God. Father, we say, open our eyes. Open our eyes to the things we have not yet seen. God, I pray. Thank you, Lord. The Bible says... That there are weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And I assure you that for everything the enemy brings to the earth, heaven has more. Treasures <laughs> destined to be found by the hungry and the thirsty and the humble. The atmosphere today is like it's like being in a in a lake on a really hot day, super hot day, and you're trying to cool off in the water, but you know it's even the water's not cutting it. And then you dive deeper, and how refreshing 
that deeper cool is as compared. It wasn't like that the water wasn't cool as compared to what was above it. But this is something else. What else can be known that eyes not seen and ears not heard? What has yet to be poured out on the earth? What kind of atmospheres can be rained down over cities, over regions? When the righteous worship Him in spirit and in truth, when they lay their hearts open, oh God, we want to know You more. We want to know you more. Father, we want to thank you, God, for your presence. Thank you, God, that you are training and teaching us, Lord, to walk in something beyond the glory that Moses walked in. This is your promise. So, Father, we want to say once again we don't know. We don't know what our... The limits are, we don't know what we don't know, but we invite you, Holy Spirit, to put your finger on those things that keep us from stepping in to what you have made available for us. God, we want, we want to see your glory. Can you say Amen. 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 Wow. Wow, I was right. What else is there? That's always the question. Like, God, how much more? The creation is waiting. Creation is waiting. It's looking. It's waiting. Looking and waiting. Creation has a memory of the first manifestation of the second Adam. His name is Jesus. Full of grace and glory. Jesus came, walked the earth, manifested something, And whether it was right there or before the foundation of the earth, I don't know. But creation was marked with an expectation of a people who would arise. Of a people that would be defined as the sons of God, says in Romans. Creation is waiting for us to cross that threshold. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it is. It's not a simple behavior. It is a fullness a fullness that we're coming into where we manifest his nature. Behavior comes second. Nature comes first. He's transforming your nature so that you'll function, speak, act, behave in the right way. Behavior doesn't come first. Nature change comes first. But because we don't know that, he's got to show us what the difference is between you acting like Jesus and you being like Jesus. And that's sometimes a little bit of a rude awakening. But there's grace for this also. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, I want to talk today about peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Last week we talked about the peacemakers. I want to talk about it again. And who knows how many other times we're going to talk about being peacemakers. But there's a couple of scriptures. I'm going to read them right now just just to give you a context for where we're going to go. But uh, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 5 and 6. Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples. And... uh, now, I, I, if I had more time, I'd probably review what we talked about last week. But, man, it's online. Go listen to the Word. 
It's an important word. It's an important foundation. We talked about how the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace, not the God of war, but the God of peace. Peace is a force. Peace is a suppressing force to evil. Peace is a, is a glorious, weighty thing. And I'd love to talk about that again, but I already did. But as I was watching it again this morning myself, I was being enriched. I was being brought back into the revelation of that. But let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 5 and 6. It says, but who, whatever house you enter, he's giving instructions to his disciples as they're going out. It says, but whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. And if not, it will return to you. Now, these are pretty specific instructions. Aren't they? Let me ask you a question, as I've asked myself this very week. How much do I actually understand these passages? How much do I really understand what he's talking about? What in my experience as a believer of so many years, how equal is my experience to what he's talking about? I mean, look at the, look at the instructions. If you were told to do this, and if you were asked questions, okay, I I want you to go to somebody's house this week, and I want you, when you go into the house, I want you to say peace to this house. You go to your neighbor's house, you go to your friend's house, you go to your grandma's house, I want you to say peace to this house. First of all, is that just a thing you're saying, or is there something you're doing? When you say peace to this house, I mean, Jesus is talking about substantial, substantive things. Like He's not talking about, okay, let's pretend there's a component. Let's pretend there's a commodity. Let's pretend that when you say something, something actually happens. He said, no, when you say peace to this house, he's talking about them engaging with a realm where things are really happening, that a real commodity called peace is actually being released from your being and going into the house. So here's my first question. If it actually happened, would you know it? I mean, this is the thing about the language of the Bible. We, we put it in the category of, of mystical, you know, if we don't understand, if it's not equal to our experience, we say, well, it means something, just not something practical. Oh, no, it means something practical. You just not, have not entered into that yet. But you know what? You will. You can. You're called to that. So if you went to somebody's house and you said, peace to this house, I mean, look what you, I, I, I just love this. And if a son of peace is there, a son of peace, what is a son of peace? How do you qualify for that? Where do I sign up? Where do I check the boxes? What, what do you do to, qualify, to, to, to fit the criteria? If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will come back to you. Again, if peace went out from you and came back to you, would you know it? Would you know if it went out and stayed versus if it didn't go out at all? Would you know if it went out and then came back, would you know that? If you don't know that, and I, I want to tell you, I don't. I haven't experienced this. I don't, I, I'm leaning into it right now in a brand new way, thanks to that sermon last week. <laughs> I don't say things because I know everything. I say them because they're true, and I'm leaning into the reality of them. But I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking, yeah, this commodity is not that tangible to me. We've got to get out of the theoretical realm. We've got to get out of the doctrinally correct realm, as though if, I, if you doctrinally, doctrinally you know, give assent to this, then you know the Scripture. You don't know the Scripture. I don't know the Scripture. I read it, I understand the words, but the meaning of it has not been lived out 
in my experience yet. Christianity is not theoretical. It's not philosophical. It's it's not even theological. It's a life that's lived out. John said, the things which you have seen, which we have handled concerning the word of life we declare to you. This is, what he's saying is, this is real to me. I'm not giving you theory. I didn't go to school. I actually did this stuff. This stuff, when I'm talking about you from an authoritative position, is because I've tasted and I've seen. I've felt this. So Jesus is giving his disciples an option, an opportunity to experience something. Something he walked in. You remember when he was walking through the crowd that one time and the woman with the issue of blood, she, she touched him and was immediately healed. You know the, the story. And then Jesus stops everything. His disciples said, said hold, a, hold a second. Somebody touched me. Yeah, more than somebody, the disciples, they, everybody's touching you. Like, like what is, how is it you don't understand this, Jesus? Right? No, 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 no. Somebody touched me. I felt power go out of me. You see, these things were common, everyday occurrences to Jesus. This was part of his language, not because he was walking in a dimension of theoretical knowledge, that he was saying, if you have also this theoretical knowledge, you could say these Christian things, these theologically correct things. There's an experience that you're supposed to have that matches the theology you, you think you have. And so God is saying, listen, I am creating ambassadors of a kingdom. I am equipping your hands with the power to step onto properties Gavin, to step into houses and say, peace be to this house. Now, one thing we don't know, okay, so if your peace comes back to you, then what? <laughs> you know, he said, don't stay there, but, you know, what if you're just in there cutting a tree for the day? You know, what do you do? With, what do you do? Do you witness with peace? Do you deposit seeds of peace? What, what do you do? Well, that's a journey for the evangelist. It's a journey for, for, for the, all of us in one respect, but how do we minister this stuff? How do, it's more than informational. So God is calling us out of the theoretical into the actual. So, let me just throw this out there because we're here. The reason why I challenge and I push or I call you to worship, I call you to pray in tongues, I call you to do certain things, is because I want you to cross the, the invisible thresholds you don't know yet are there to come into another experience. Because the nature of the way that God trains you is you have an experience first by accident and maybe many times by accident, but eventually you realize that there was actually a path from here to there. And you can go there on purpose. I realized that as a, as a young Christian. Oh, I just realized our, other, our new lights are up. Good, they're working. Excellent. I, I, was, I kept staying back here, staying in the light, but I, I realized, hey, there's quite a bit of light up here. And I just noticed they're, they're there. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> what was I saying? What? No, I was saying something before that. See, I distracted myself. And there's no baby crying. <laughs> yeah, because when I got saved, I, I started going to chapels. I went to Bible college. I went to church and when I'd be in the meetings, this presence, this atmosphere would come, and I just loved it. My, my heart was so hungry for it. And then I started having that experience with the presence of the Lord, not in official church meetings. You know, I started having it in the dorm room with a guy with a guitar and a few of us. And I thought, 
wow, I can get that here also. And so I thought, I wonder if I learned to play guitar myself and could sing badly and then get that. And so I began to do that. I began to find ways to worship. You know, we didn't have all the conveniences of iPods and, and digital media the way we have now, but, but I wanted to be able to worship because to me it was like a, it was like a realm, another environment, and I could go there on purpose. And when I go there, I start thinking in ways that where I don't have to try to think about how good God is, it just cascades down upon my being, and I, I'm soaked, I'm drenched in this presence and this reality of who God is, and discouragement goes out the window, and heaviness goes out the window, and fear fades from my life and stops being this, this demonic thing crunching at my brain all the time. I can go to a place where there is freedom. And so God is saying, yeah, but that place is a real place, and what you experience is a real thing. There are commodities. There are atmospheres. In the same way you have oxygen and air all around you, that is, there's actually substance to that. It is a thing. My presence is a thing. My peace is a thing that can change the world. And you... What I'm trying to train you to do, Mark, and the rest of us, is that you have an access to that, that aroma, that presence, that atmosphere, and you can shed that wherever you go. Not just, here's a track. Nothing wrong with a track that says you must be born again. But sometimes what we do is we present information instead of atmosphere. Sometimes we, we don't present the commodities of the kingdom, right? The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace. Let me tell you about the kingdom. Are you talking to me about the theory of the kingdom? Or are you presenting the kingdom to me? Are you presenting righteousness and peace? Or are you talking about the attributes of righteousness and peace? Many Christians are like, oh, there's a difference? There's a difference. But we can't present and bring to others what we don't know how to walk in purposely. So God is saying, what if, what if when power went out from you, you knew it? When Jesus was touched by the woman with the issue of blood, power, virtue went out from what if, what if when you prayed, you could feel the level of power that was on that prayer and to know that that prayer was better than this prayer. And if there's a better prayer and a worse prayer, there must be an even better prayer and an even, even, even better, better prayer. You see, this is the reality of God is trying to train us. It says, listen, there are, there are, Levels, expressions, manifestations of the atmosphere of heaven, one building on another, one each more glorious than the next. And what happens, the enemy succeeds in locking us into an experience that is, well, I guess here we are. Now we just go to church and pay tithes the rest of our lives. No. You could keep paying tithes. I wouldn't say don't do that. But there's this tangible, beautiful stuff. Now, I'm going to get into my message now. That's my little introduction. I, uh, I heard this saying here recently, and I thought I'd share it with you. Um, not that this guy's not a Christian or anything, but he said something that's quite profound. It's Neil deGrasse Tyson. He said, a great challenge of life... Um, is that you can, you can learn enough to think that you're doing it right, but not enough to know that you're doing it wrong. That's a, that's a challenge in every realm. Superficial knowledge gives a sense of competence, a sense that you are an authority or familiar with something, 
But the reality is that first plateau of knowledge only gives you the illusion of competency, but not enough to know that the level of knowledge you presently have now is incomplete. And that exists for every level of knowledge. I mean, talk to anybody with in-depth knowledge of something, and and you can see that, the layers of knowledge and how it's easy to make assumptions about certain things when you know just a tiny bit. Well, no more so is that true anywhere than in the kingdom of God. Superficial knowledge gives us a sense we, we really know something, and, and that's because there's no measurements. How do you measure amounts of peace? Do you know the peace of God? Oh, yes. How much? I don't know. How do you measure that? Ten. I know it ten. Out of what? A billion? <laughs> right? Like, how do you quantify these, these realities? And see, what the enemy tries to do is it tries to create complacency. That, okay, now you're in. Now you, you got your name on the kingdom roll. Your name is written in heaven. You're done. Like you're, you're on your way to heaven. What, what do you do now? Well, just try and be more faithful. No, it's far more profound than that. The kingdom of God, the, the life, the joy, the strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So what? If I laugh a lot longer, I'll, I'll have, be more tenacious? No, joy is a commodity that gives you strength. We can spend all of our time trying to be strong or we can tap into the commodity that makes us strong. And you trying to be strong, pretending to be strong, acting strong is not nearly as good as drinking from the well of joy. It causes you... you know, it's like being plugged into a, a battery that you keep, have to, you keep having to, to uh, charge up versus plugged into the grid. Joy. The joy of the Lord is a river, an unending river that you can tap into. Somebody, man, you ever notice somebody, they're so joyful all the time, like, man, don't you get tired of doing that? No, because the people that are joyful all the time have tap in, tapped into something. They're not, they're not putting on the painted face of happiness they're, they're tasting of a commodity. The kingdom of God is about you tasting of the commodity of joy and peace and righteousness. It, it, there's an essence to it with layers to be discovered. Beautiful, beautiful layers. So, so we can have this superficial awareness of something. In fact, I, I, I'd, I'd love to confess right now, but that would take too long all the different ways I, I've done that. But, but here's the thing. Even, even this statement, though it's correct, and I like this statement, it, it hints at a problem that we have. It says, um, knowing enough to think you're right, but not knowing enough to, to know you're doing it wrong. How do I transition to this? Father, I pray right now, God, that that you would... You would cause us to know, Lord, the deeper realms. See, part of the problem is we get locked into right and wrong, good and evil, all the time. And so we're trying desperately not to do it wrong. But when that's your orientation, the reality is you've missed something. Now, this is not a real plant, but it's nevertheless beautiful, is it not? Some respects. I've seen better. I've seen worse. Right? But let's say let's say that was a real plant. That was a let's say that was a real plant. And um and you know that it came from a seed. You know, one day you put a seed in the ground and that seed popped up and you saw the beginnings of maybe one of these. Maybe this is is as big as it gets, right? And when you first planted that, that first little sprout that stuck out of there, do you look at that and say, you're doing it wrong? No. You don't say you're doing it wrong. 
Yeah, but I've seen the final version. I've seen one of those. It doesn't look like that. It looks different than that. We don't have a, we don't take our two-year-olds who are beginning to walk and say to them, you're doing it wrong. Right? Wrong? (laughs) See, the, the world in which we have been born into always views everything as right and wrong. But when the Bible is talking about knowledge and it's talking about revelation, it's talking about the kingdom, it's talking about behavior, talking about transformation, it doesn't, it's not always talking. There is right and wrong, good and evil in the purest sense of the way. But that's not when the Holy Spirit is on your life, when the scriptures are speaking about you, when it's saying, be perfect as I am perfect. It's not saying be good. It's saying be complete. It's actually referring to, to a process that begins with a seed and ends up with something in its mature state. The kingdom of God is always about seed time and harvest. This is a kingdom principle that began and it's it's sown into creation. We see that in creation, seed time and harvest. That means the seed and the harvest, the full-grown version of the seed, whether it's a carrot or an apple tree or, or whatever it is, the, the DNA, the only difference between this and this is time. You got seed, then you got time, then you got harvest. Seed, time, and fullness. So when the Lord is looking at your life, you know, you know, we always ask this question, am I doing it wrong? Am I, do, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? Was it a little wrong? Was it a little right? And of course, if we're told we're doing it right, we feel so good about myself. But if we're told we're doing it wrong, it's like, oh, I'm such a loser. You got to stop thinking like that because that's not how the commodities of godliness, righteousness, joy, and peace are manifesting. They're manifesting like seed time and harvest are in other words when god plants his nature into you he plants in you substance that is growing and when you're supposedly doing it wrong you're not doing it wrong you're just incomplete and so so when somebody says to you you're incomplete there shouldn't be the same sense of condemnation and shame that you associate with being wrong Because we never tell our child in grade three, why don't you know calculus? Because that's that's their present capacity. That's where they are. Even if they're behind everybody else in their class. Oh, we'd like to measure them against this one and say, well, you're obviously wrong. No. That's just where you're at. And so sonship and our journey with God, our belonging to the presence of God, it it should communicate something that you're in a process and it's good that you're there. But don't stay there. The only thing about this journey is if you stop growing, it's indicative of a problem. But being there at that particular stage you know, imagine human growth. If we can, you know, give numerical numbers from, you know, one to a hundred, and I guess we do that with age, one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, but you know, there's no normative corresponding size or height or anything like that, or intelligence level or skill level. It's all different. But the enemy tries to lock us into this world of good and evil. And it causes us to live in this superficial kind of realm of knowledge where we think we know something, but we don't. We've tasted, but there's something else to be had. If you want to know the conflict of the generations in the church and what every division is based on, it's based on the fact that the seed was planted, the church became one thing, 
and then a generation began to move into something else, and those that didn't want to or refused to or, you know, were intimidated by that and wouldn't go. So God is saying, listen, why is this important? Because I'm bringing you into something you've never seen. The kingdom of God is, is about commodities that are real, that you participate, that you experience. And your ability to handle those things in a real way increases the more you handle them. So I don't want us to be condemned when you read that scripture about, okay, uh, leave your peace, know that, you know, if your peace returns to you, it doesn't matter that you don't have that experience. I don't feel bad about myself. I don't really understand that. But I'm thinking... God, what is it in me, what is it about my journey that I haven't learned about any of this? Right now, let's just pause. Father, we want to say that we have tasted of your peace, but we don't really know how to handle peace. We've tasted of your power, but we really don't know how to manage your power. Father, we've tasted of your goodness, but Lord, we don't really know how to pour out your goodness. And we're saying today that we are in a state of being incomplete. But Lord, we want to manifest your peace. We want to manifest your righteousness. We want to manifest godliness that changes the world around us. So I said all that to say this. Turn to James. Because if we're going to be peacemakers, there's a process that we're in. Are you guys still with me? I felt a little lull there. Might just be me. (laughs) Felt a little lull. But uh, I want to read a passage from James because the whole book of James strikes at one of the key core things, and I'm not even sure if I'm going to have enough time to go into this, but I'll read it to you anyway. But let's look at this. I'm going to, I'm going to end in, in uh, maybe I'll just read the one verse. 3.18, James 3.18. says, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Ah. I can't really go into that too much today. But I want to say this, that the kingdom of God, the manifestation of the, of, of the God of, of peace on the earth that's going to crush Satan under your feet, that that, that thing, is, that, that end, that, that victory is going to come because you know how to sow righteousness and make peace. We're living in the inertia of the efforts of our fathers and our fathers' fathers who sowed righteousness into the land, and we are living in a realm of peace, better than the Pax Romana, better than the peace of Rome. I mean, we in Canada here have been free from war on our territory for hundreds of years. Where does that kind of peace come from? Well, for some people, they think, well, let's just not fight. No, no, no. Peace is deeper than not fighting, we began to talk about last week. Peace is deeper than drawing a line between combatants and keeping them apart. Peace is a manifestation of a commodity that comes from heaven, and it comes through, evidently, sons of peace who impart peace and who sow righteousness that brings a yield of peace. What if the peace of Canada had nothing to do with politics? What if the peace of Canada had nothing to do with the ideologies that are 
dramatically shifting the culture of our education system? What if the peace of Canada had was entirely in the power of those who could sow righteousness? Turn to Philippians chapter 3. I want to read a passage really quickly. and Because of time, I can't really finish this theme. We'll see if we can get back to next week. But I want to read something because I, I'm kind of doubling back because I feel like like I need to reinforce this. But some people have a problem with the idea that there are levels of accomplishment as it pertains to the kingdom of God. Hey, people from Guatemala there. Are they live? Okay. Oh, it's a secret. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to read a passage in Philippians because there's a competence that God wants to give us that we could actually build something in Spruce Grove that could be a monument to the kingdom of heaven that shines brighter than anything we've ever known before. Like part of us thinks, part of us as Christians is kind of like me when I was in Cub Scouts. They call it Cub Scouts, but it's actually Cubs. It was Cubs, then there was Scouts. Anybody ever in Cubs? You know, when I was in Cubs, I went there because we played games and it was fun. And then one day they gave me a badge. I said, what do you do with this? Well, you take it to your mom, and your mom sews it on your shirt. Oh, that's great. So next week, it came with my little badge. A few weeks later, they give me another badge. And I'm thinking, oh, now I got two. So my mom sews that one on, and next thing you know, I've got another one and another one. And, and I, go, I graduate from Cubs, and I go to Scouts, and next thing you know, they give me a badge there. And I, I'm thinking, like, how does this work? I start to realize, like, there's, is this by accident that I'm getting these badges? Or is there a, an actual reason? I, I got to that place in my intellectual development. I was a little slow. <laughs> to realize, I think people might be getting badges on purpose. And one of my friends says, yeah, well, haven't you read the manual? There's a manual? <laughs> yeah, the scout book. Well, show me the scout book. And he they list all the badges and said, if you do A, B, and C, then you get this badge. I, I could do that. I could do A, B, and C. I'd like that badge. You mean I could get this one and this one? I was thinking, why do you have so many badges and I only have a few? You know, I found out later that you could get bronze chains and a silver chain and a gold chain. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not random, not accidental. When God releases something, it's not because of his mood. Right? When God releases judgment, it's not because, well, nobody better cross me today. I'm having a bad day. When God gives salvation to somebody, it's because a criteria has been satisfied in heaven. Faith has been realized and somebody touched something and it fell to them. Everything that we have, everything that is available in peace, because peace is, peace, there's a, there's a full-orbed manifestation of peace that causes a calm, that causes dissent to, to be removed from the land. It causes fires of hatred and, and, and uh, the speaking of wickedness to be nullified in amazing ways. There's a presence that comes down and can rest on the land. Not only a house, but a city. People, when this church was at war, people would come in the room and they could feel it. They could feel the strife. And it makes them feel unsafe. When people come in and they feel judged, all right, sometimes it's because they just 
are paranoid and they think they're being judged all the time, but sometimes it's because the atmosphere is not one of family. It's not one of safety. It's, yeah, people are scrutinizing you. They're wondering why you're not wearing skinny jeans. God forbid that that would be the culture that we would create here of criticism and nitpicky and Oh, you're not doing it right. You didn't say the right word. You didn't say it this way. You, didn't, you know, you should watch more of this guy because that's the style we should be having here. We should do more Bethel. We should do less Bethel. We should. Peace is a commodity that comes out of sons of peace who sow righteousness and reap the fruit of peace. But all of this comes in degrees. Let me just quickly read to you. This is what Paul says. Brethren, verse 13, Philippians 3. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. What is he saying? Listen, I've touched some things, but I want more of those things. I've experienced some of those things, but there's, I know that there's more to be had. I am leaving some things and going into higher things. Well, maybe he's just talking about leaving sin and going into righteousness. Well, we'll see. He says, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Look at verse 16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already obtained, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule and be of the same mind. Peace, joy, righteousness, strength, authority, godliness, holiness. These are commodities that come from a person but the way that they're manifested is seed, time, and harvest. There's a seed of the very nature of Jesus Christ inside of you. And you can water it, and you can let the, the presence of his glory shine a light on it, and with watering it and light, it grows, because, well, it's not about, why well, I need to be a better Christian. No. Yes. But how is the question? You don't be a better Christian by trying harder. You be a better Christian by allowing the seed to come into fullness. Godliness is the fruit of a seed that was planted into you. Everything you have as a Christian is a commodity that you can taste and see, that you can handle, that then you, after you've handled it, after you've tasted and seen, you will manifest a certain dexterity, a certain skill in administering that thing. Healing. Healing is something we can grow in. God doesn't change, but we do. To the degree that we've attained, let us so walk. There's a spirit out there trying to tell the church, no, no, no. You get saved and then you hang around until you die. You get saved and then you try to be good until, you know, again, you die. That's not what Christianity is. You've been introduced to streams of life that come from God and God is saying, I want you to get good at this. I want you to get good at peace. I want you to get good at righteousness. I want you to get good at godliness. I want it to flow through your life, and I want you to be able to sow it to your neighbors who don't know me. Father, I pray today. Oh, God. We could sow righteousness all over this county. Right now, because of policies in our city, dandelions are being sown everywhere. We are being inundated in dandelions. 
What if spiritually we could be inundated in righteousness if the sons of peace knew how to sow righteousness? What if a fruit of righteousness, righteousness beyond our comprehension, righteousness that's such that even the ungodly were, were compelled to aspire to being good because of the level of actual righteousness there was in the region? The effect of true righteousness cannot be measured. It's so great. Peace. It's not the absence of war, the presence of conflict. War is not the presence of conflict. It's a fruit of heaven that comes down to the earth to a people who know how to handle it. Father, we say, God, and this is the, this is the call right now. There's a line the enemy has drawn and basically said, yeah, you can't get past that. That's just, you're, you're limited. You're, you just live in what you know right now. You just try to do your best and fail a lot, but try to do your best. God, we declare that we're coming into something as a people. You've called us to a fullness to look like Jesus, to sound like Jesus, to think like Jesus, to feel the feelings of Jesus. Lord, we will not stop until that reality is completely consumed every passion, every motivation. In Jesus' name, I want to say right now, sexual immorality is not normal. It is not to be expected. You don't have to rationalize it. You can lean into righteousness. There is something to be had. We are not the victim of our passions or our desires we can be different. There's a fruit. There's a reality. Thank you, God. Can you say amen?